Today on Locked On Canadians, the Canadians sign Otto Leskinen. That's a name we haven't heard in a bit. Uh, what do the Laval Rocket need to do in order to win their Game 7 against the Springfield Thunderbirds? And finally, how great or how not great is the Montreal Canadiens rebuild going? We talked to some people who have a little bit of FOMO with in comparison to Canadians fans, and that's all coming up on today's Locked On Canadians. Your Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to episode 637 of Locked On Canadians. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. So please subscribe, uh, tell your friends, let's become the first listen of everybody's day, not just your day. And I just... At some point, I have to say I'm filled with so much affection for all of our listeners. You've been so great interacting with us, and we're so, so happy. But in the meantime, we have so much to talk about today, but I will promise that we have two episodes on Kate and Gooley coming up in the next couple of weeks because we listen to you, we love you, and we know that you're all really hyped up about Kate and Gooley, so we're going to talk to some people who get to watch him a lot uh, in the meantime. Let's get down to business for today. My name is Laura Sab, also known as The Active Stick, and I'm joined, as always, by Scott Matlow of Habs Eyes on the Prize. And Scott, it seems like even though I'm hosting, a lot of the stuff we're talking about today is your baby. I, I was going to say, they saw that we had a day off because we recorded a double episode on Sunday and went, okay, well, Scott has to talk more now. And uh, I, I'm not opposed to you know what they did today, and I know we're going to talk about the Rocket in a little bit, and I'm very always prepared to talk about them. But they brought back a Finnish defenseman that we were not expecting. We weren't expecting anything. And when the news came out that they had re-signed Otto Leskin, and I was checking the eyes on the prize slack as I do at work instead of doing my job sometimes. If my bosses are listening to this, uh, no, I work very hard. But uh, the tweet came up and we thought, oh, are we flashing back? Are we remembering a couple of days ago kind of thing? And no, as it turns out, Otto Leskinen back on a one-year, two-way contract, uh, 300000 in the AHL guaranteed. I like how Maple was calling you out as you were saying that because Maple knows what's up. Uh, and for those of you listening, that's Maple is Scott and Carly's dog. So Otto Leskinen, that, that was, that, like I said, that's a name we haven't heard in a while. So much so that both of us, when we saw that, we thought that somebody was just recycling an old tweet as in the offseason. Some Canadians, fans and media like to do. Um, and it's interesting because you know what that says to me is that the Canadians feel that there are some people in Laval right now that might not be there anymore. There's some people that they're prepared to graduate to the next level. Um, and so it is it is a one-year contract. It's not something that's necessarily, you know, world-changing or anything like that. But I like the message that it's sending. And for me, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about who's going to be on the team next year, who's going to take the step from the Rocket to the Habs. I think they have a plan in place because at the same time, I just, 
it, it, like it's not a huge deal, but it sends a big message. Everything that they're doing right now gets scrutinized by people like us, as well as the entire fan base. We're trying to figure out, you know, what direction are they going in? What's the plan? And we are going to talk a little bit um, later in the show about how the rebuild is going and how we feel about it. But I think it just like they're doing sensible things is the thing is that like some days they change the world. They hire Marie-Philippe Poulet and then some days they just do something that makes sense. And I, I look at this as, and uh, I believe it was Rock Smash on Twitter asked if this is a move for the rocket only. And I think this is insurance as on that bottom pair there. I think that Leskinen is a good person to push Chris Weidman and that in a sheltered role, I think they can play the same spot, be a power play two quarterback, would be very good in the AHL. Leskinen's been uh, an efficient distributor from the back end here. And this, to me, is a lot of insurance because I assume a guy like Sammy Niku is going to get some offers in the offseason. I don't know if he'll be back. I would like Sammy Niku to be back because I like a lot of what he brings to the table. But you don't have guarantees that Louis Belpedio will be back and that uh, Xavier Ouellette will be back, the team captain in Laval, and that you're going to need people there to insulate the younger guys because you got to assume any number of Baron, Roman, or not Romanov, uh, Baron, Gouli, uh, Jack Eye, uh, and Norlinder, et cetera, will be starting in the AHL or playing there at some point. And you can't just have all kids all the time. That sounds great in, you know, in a perfect world, but it is not. You need veterans to step in and play if the kids need a break in this. And in two seasons with the Rocket, he put up 22 points in 52 games and 17 points in 33 games during that uh, COVID shortened uh, Canadian only division. Wait. No, that was the season that got cut short because of the pandemic. And next year, he had gone back to Finland after that, I believe. Nope, I have it right. They have added another year on to elite prospects here for next season. Uh, he went to the KHL, and obviously he went back to Finland. He went back to Liga after uh, a certain after 35 games. Where he produced very well at the KHL level. It, it's, you know, if you're upset about a deal like this, I don't know what to tell you. It's not a game breaking kind of thing. It's just smart, simple business. They still had his rights and clearly Hughes and Gordon saw something that they liked or their scouts liked that what they saw from Leskinen still playing over in Europe and thought it might be time to bring him back. He's only 25. He's not out of his prime and he never really got a, he only has six NHL games under his belt. It's an opportunity to prove that he can either make the NHL or he becomes that, you know, uh, quadruple-A type player, like a Charles Houdon, but on defense uh, when they need him to. It's just nice, simple business here. Uh, nothing to be, you know, too freaked out about, but it was it was surprising nonetheless to see he was the name that came back uh, in terms of deals. I agree. And speaking of the Rocket, they do have a huge Game 7 tonight when you're listening to this on Wednesday evening. We're going to talk about the keys to this series, and that's all coming up in just one moment. But first, rockauto.com is the only place you should be looking for all your car parts and accessories. I myself have had a little bit of car trouble. My car's getting a little bit older. It's now hit the 12-year mark, and things are starting to go wrong with the car as they do and what happens each time is that I'll go and I'll get a quote for a piece of or for a part sorry of the car and I will get 
I will look it up on Rock Auto just for fun. I'll go get it from a chain store and then I'll look it up on Rock Auto and Rock Auto is consistently much cheaper. In one case, it was a quarter of the price. In most cases, it's half or third of the price. They're so reliably, reliably affordable and it's such an easy to use catalog. All you have to do is go to rockauto.com. You put in your car's make, model, and year. And as I said, my car's 12 years old, right? It's not new, but you can find everything that you need on there. And honestly, every single time the price has been so much lower it's just so much more convenient as well because you can order it and it gets de delivered directly to your door i go to chain stores only for the fun of it now because it makes absolutely no sense for me to get car parts and accessories anywhere other than rock auto and it's just it blows my mind just how convenient how affordable and just how much of how much inventory and stock they have on there. You can just choose your own price. All you do is use their drop, drop down catalog. And if you want, like me, to have your mind blown by how much, how much more affordable things are on rockauto.com, you can go to rockauto.com and do not forget to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that they'll know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So the Laval Rocket in a game seven against the Springfield Thunderbirds, who are rapidly becoming a team I am strongly disliking. Scott, Caden Primo had an amazing game on, uh, I believe it was Sunday evening at this point. Monday. <laughs> or Monday evening. Monday in, night. In, Monday night, exactly. It was it was Caden Primo having another really good game. The Laval Rocket were able to push the series to a game seven. It's on the road, not back in Laval. What do you think the keys are for the for the for them to win the series and make the Calder Cup finals? I, I'm glad you mentioned Caden Primo right off the bat here because I'm looking at his stats on the AHL site right now. Uh, he's played 13 games because he did not start the Syracuse series. They went to Kevin Poulin to start that series, which was the right call at the time. Uh, and since then, Caden Primo has gone nine four and, or nine and four. They don't count overtime losses like they would in the regular season, so they are rolled into his regular losses. Two point one zero goals against and a nine thirty seven save percentage. Uh, he put up a nine sixty eight. He only allowed one goal on thirty one shots last night, Monday night. When uh, by the time you're listening to this, and he's been nothing short of incredible. He's He's the most used goalie in the playoffs so far. Dustin Wolf will play his 13th game tonight uh, when Stockton takes on Chicago. And he's near the top for almost everything, you know, goals against in terms of people who have played more than a handful of games. The only people ahead of him are Alex Lyon and Joel Hoffer. And Hoffer splits the net with Charlie Lindgren. And Caden Primo is the key to the rocket. If he continues to be this solid and the penalty kill, which has not allowed a goal in this series. Uh, despite the officiating's best efforts, the penalty kill has been incredible. They have shut out the Thunderbirds. Caden Primo has been lights out. And then in game five, they needed someone to step up. They played with 11 forwards, lost Jesse alone in early on when he was hit from behind and it was uncalled. He will not play uh, Wednesday night. And it, it is very obvious that Joel, Bou or Joel Bouchard, wow, there's a uh, JF Hool is bringing in an offensive talent. Um, I know a lot of fans are clamoring for Joshua Wah. I have a feeling it will be him. I think they're going to give him a shot on that line where Yelonen was playing and try to get him on the score sheet here. It makes the most sense to do that. But the Rocket, uh, Donick Martell had a three-point game. Brandon Jiniak had a couple of big points. 
they needed a hero in that game. And I said it in the eyes on the prize slack. I'm like, they're holding on. They need a hero here. And Gabriel Bork came up and stepped up again. Donick Martell stepped up again. Brandon Juniak stepped up again. They're doing really impressive things here. And Martell, we look at his four-goal game against Rochester, and everyone kind of thinks that's all he's done. He's, I believe, second or third in playoff scoring. He's been incredible despite leading the AHL in penalty minutes in the postseason. Some his fault, some maybe not so much. It's going to be tight, and I, I don't know which way it's going to go because no team has won multiple games in a row in this series. And the Rocket are banged up. Like, they really, truly are. But at the same time, they won't go away. Even when they lose, they are there tooth and nail every step of the way. And it's tough to play against. I know it's cliche, but they are a hard team to play against when they are just relentless on everything all the time. And win or lose, this is a team that was almost eliminated with 38 seconds left in round one. And they are one game away from the Calder Cup final. Uh, what they've done is impressive, like truly impressive this offseason. It's incredible. And I don't want to jinx it because I want to wait until however long their run goes uh, before we do a nice postmortem on, on, on how they've just been so resilient, so... I want to say so forceful. Forceful is not the right word, like commanding, right? Like they're constantly there. They're constantly trying to take control of the game, even against teams like Springfield. And I got to say, I'm starting to get a little bit sick of all the Laval Rocket skill players that are the future hopes of the Montreal Canadiens getting injured and nothing being done about it. It's 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 starting to get a little bit egregious, you know? Like <laughs> It's not like the Laval Rocket have that much like ultra elite skill there. They do have skill players. They are scoring by committee. They're all stepping up in different ways. And I will say that I will give them that, but I'm getting like really, really tired of this mess that, that literally I, I don't, I can see that it's going uncalled. I can see nothing's being done about it. And I can draw a line between that. And then the next time a Laval rocket player gets hurt. And, and the thing is, it's not just little things because the Rocket are being called for, they're calling it tight, you know, every little ticky-tack stick infraction or a hold or whatever gets called. But I watched Dakota Joshua like jump through Caden Primo and nothing happens. They run into him over and over and it, it doesn't go unnoticed. And a lot of, and even, you know, neutral fans are looking at this and going, what in the hell is going on in this series right now? And the officiating is not why this is a seven-game series. Springfield is a good team. They are built for the playoffs. They are a mean and nasty team with good goaltending and solid veteran leadership. They just, you know, it's unbalanced. But the Rocket are finding a way to persevere through that. And they have one more, you know, hill in this. And then beyond that, Chicago and Stockton are very good teams if they get that far. They're battle-tested. They're beat up. Make no mistake. This team's far from 100%. Nate Chenard's not playing. Cedric Paquette's likely playing injured. Gabriel Bork is likely playing injured. Jesse Alonen is out. They're a beat-up team, but they're finding ways to win, and that's the hallmark of a good team here. There's a lot of guys that I would like to see back next season just because you know they, they're integral parts of this team. Alex Belzio, Donick Martell, are key guys to this franchise right now. And I think uh, it's worth keeping them around for next year. I don't know how game seven is going to go. I'm not going to make predictions on it because this entire series has been a coin flip. Obviously when we get into our next episode, we will have the recap on that, whether they win or lose. Hopefully it is a win uh, because we will be very joyous over that. The Habs haven't had a team in the Calder cup final since 
the Hamilton Bulldogs back in 20, was it 2011, 2010? Was it 2011 or 2010? I can't remember, but yeah, it's been a long, long time since they've been in this position to actually, you know, to make a statement like this. And let's see what they do. Exactly. And so that game is tonight. So we'll obviously be talking about it on tomorrow's episode. In the meantime, what we're going to do for the rest of this episode is we talked about the Canadians rebuild uh, with our friends Russ and Rachel from Locked On Flyers. And it wasn't part of the uh, prospect talk. So we left it separate. But we thought it would be fun to kind of uh, give you guys that segment that we did together where we compared rebuilds and there might have been a little bit of FOMO on the part of Russ and Rachel and all that's coming up in just one moment. But first, Built Bar has come up with yet another flavor. And this time it is Mud Pie. If you don't know Built Bar, it's a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. And if you don't know what a Mud Pie tastes like, it's If you're a chocolate fan, you better sit down for this. The new Mud Pie Bar is rich whipped cream and chocolate mousse smothered in 100% real chocolate and topped with cookies and cream crumble. Now, all our friends across the Locked On NHL network are getting their samples and they are all talking about how they're to die for and they're devouring them right away because they taste like a treat. But at the same time, they're all really high in protein. They're really low in sugar. They're made with real chocolate and they're so, so tasty. So if you want to try these Built Bars, go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. That's Built.com and the promo code is LOCKED15 for 15% off your order. So one of the interesting, I think, contrasts between the Philadelphia Flyers and Montreal Canadiens is this idea that the Canadians are embracing a rebuild right now in a really comprehensive way. They traded away a lot of people at trade deadline and you know, over the course of the last year or so to kind of set themselves up properly for this rebuild. They fired the entire management team, have like a new uh, management team in place, whereas the Flyers are in this weird gray area that they're calling an aggressive retool that Chuck Fletcher is still there as the as the GM. They are dealing with what I think will be either the fifth or sixth coach in the last five or six years. It's kind of a mess um, to understate it just a little bit. And to have the Habs who went from a Stanley, an improbable Stanley Cup final, but a Stanley Cup final nonetheless, straight into this kind of rebuild mode is an unusual thing, but they seem to be doing things in a very logical, progressed way, as opposed to the Flyers who are just kind of rambling and so i guess i want to hear what's a what's a properly done rebuild look like i think the advantage that this incoming management team is that they're brand new right it's it's kind of like the most the, the time that you're the most popular as the new gm is when you first been appointed and I think the, the Canadians so far, the steps that they've taken, both in terms of hiring as well as in terms of trades or, you know, their messaging that's going out to the fandom uh, has been really, really positive. As a Canadians fan, 
I have to say that I personally feel really confident in the way, in the direction the team is going, but they haven't had a chance to make big mistakes yet, right? That we have to remember that. I do think, though, that the fact that you kind of have to embrace it, because for many years we heard in Montreal, through mediocrity, we kept hearing that the Montreal market will never embrace a rebuild. But they finally got to a point where, you know, making the, 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 they, they would make, the playoffs and then they would go on improbable runs in the playoffs this is not the first time it happens it's the first time we get all the way to a stanley cup final in this market but you know you talk about like the times that they've they've gone to the eastern conference final in the past you know one of them was against the flyers like those were all improbable improbable and it's like it is true that anything can happen when you make the playoffs but that shouldn't be your strategy, right? Like your strategy is to build a deep team that can constantly be relied upon to play well. And I think though the messaging that's coming from this team, like Kent Hughes is an unproven GM, obviously. He has absolutely no experience in the league. But then you can look at Jeff Gorton's decision in decisions in Boston and in New York. And there are a lot of them that are very, very positive. I think what the Canadians have have been able to do is kind of sell a philosophy up and down the management team and they're selling it to the fans really well. And I like that because they are giving us just enough transparency to, to give us hope, but they're not playing their hand. They're not showing their hand. Sorry. They're not showing their hand is the expression. I, I feel like with the Flyers, it seems like it's reacting, not methodical pre-planning. And that's the difference I would I would make. And so, you know, when you hear the words like aggressive retool or retool on the fly, it always feels to me reactive. Canadians are like, you can call this whatever you want to call it, but what we want to do is we want to build a contender, right? So me looking at the Habs, two years from, like, uh, sorry, if, if I was looking at it, at it at the beginning of the season and I said what are the Canadians going to look like two three years from now all I saw was a pit of despair but then things changed so quickly in such a short amount of time because of the decisions that we saw the team making they were not afraid to do unpopular things like trade away for example Tyler Toffoli a huge fan favorite in this market they traded away Arturi Lekkanen who a lot of fans didn't necessarily appreciate all that much but is a super versatile player like he's one of those depth players that you win championships with and the Colorado Avalanche are almost like they're almost at that point with him right so they have made moves that they they have made bold moves and they haven't been afraid to do that so for me I think that's a really good thing and the other thing that I'm finding really really positive is that they don't make moves just for the sake of making them and I feel like a lot of GMs do that a lot of front offices will do that. I think what they do is they 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 patiently wait until they get what they want. They did that with Marie-Philippe Poulain. They pitched her a while ago. She said she wasn't interested in ending her playing career just yet. They worked it out so that now she can do another Olympic cycle and learn management and also be part of the staff, right? But that's only one example, right? With Tyler Toffoli, they asked a, a high price. They got it. Ben Sherratt, they got... They got a king's ransom for Ben Sherratt. They really and did. They literally, and you know, you look at Brett Kulak and Arturi Lekin, and they were traded last minute on the trade deadline. So they literally, they did not make the move until they got what they wanted. Jeff Petrie was being shopped or, you know, he was available. It was widely known that he was available, but he didn't get traded. You know, you'd think in a situation where the player says that they want a new market, and that's changed since that time. Uh, like the offseason has ch- kind of changed a lot for Jeff Petrie, but... 
you know, when you see that a guy's unhappy and he wants to leave, you'd think that the team that has him has less leverage, not more. And the Canadians just haven't traded him because they didn't get what they wanted for him. So I feel very confident with their patience, with the fact that they're not reacting, that they're acting. Yeah, and... I think... No, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I think that's a huge difference right there, is that if you look at the deals that Chuck Fletcher has made, um, I mean, some of them have been okay. I do mm-hmm. think that Cam Atkins and Jake Voracek trade one for one made a lot of sense for both teams. And I, I think what Cam Atkinson brings in in a situation like this to the Flyers is really good. I, I just think that he is a little more reactionary, like you were saying. And, and I do think that he doesn't wait for the perfect deal. And he doesn't get the most for the assets when he trades. And when he trades for somebody, he gives up more than he should. And I mean, if you look at the Ristolainen deal, obviously that is the marquee example of him trading away too much for a player that wasn't going to give you that kind of value in return. And so, you know, I, I think that especially after having a slow burn GM like Ron Hextall, who says, I've got a plan, it's going to take a while, and then we trust him, and it doesn't, and he gets fired, like, before whatever his plan is comes to fruition, like it or not, if you think it was, you know, too slow or, or not, he he got fired before whatever his plan was, ostensibly, was going to come to fruition, so we'll never know, we'll never know exactly if his vision was going to work, And then you bring in a guy like Chuck Fletcher, who has, in some respects, has to have been reactionary, but at the same time, doesn't appear to at least have that overall vision and plan. And that's what's frustrating, I think, for Flyers fans, is that there are some people who are just frustrated with the whole thing because we never got anywhere and this team is always two or three years away versus like maybe now we want a rebuild and they're not giving it to us. Which is a really difficult place to be in, I think. It's a tough spot. And that's kind of where Montreal was, that Mark Bergevin seemed to kind of have a plan until he didn't, in that he just kind of tried to straddle both sides of the fence and never committed. And it it delayed what probably should have happened a couple of years ago, and now Courtney and Hughes have to do that, is that, like you said, having an actual plan of attack is the biggest thing here. If you go in... You know, just trying to wing it and seeing how it goes. That's not, if you actually have to tear it down and start over, you have to have a plan in place. Cause if you just kind of do it, however, you're either not going to get the assets you need to rebuild, you're going to give up the wrong guys for not nearly enough, and you're just going to set yourself back in the end there. You might see some marginal success, but you got to go for it. If you don't go for it and actually commit to doing what you're going to do, you stay in this perpetual cycle of, ah, we're, we got better this year because someone had a career year or the goalie was really good. And then a down year when everything kind of goes back to normal and you don't know what happened, just commit and go for it. And I'm kind of glad to see Hughes and Gordon are doing that as it stands right now. Yeah. I think the biggest thing with Bergevin is he wanted to, you know, um, not be capped out. Okay. And, and he finally did spend some money and the team did get somewhere. Uh, although we know that it was like a magic carpet, right? And that, like, at least the Canadians realized that that's what it was. And Gorton, uh, you can see how the Rangers are. Gorton was very responsible for that. And because Hughes does want to sort of be like the face and let Gordon sort of, Gordon work in the back room, it's a good combo. I absolutely agree with that in that 
I just, I find that the way that they, they carry themselves is different. You know, the, the, the organization with Mark Bergevin, I don't know if, I don't remember. I truly don't remember. I remember being at the draft in Pittsburgh with his first pick, right? That turned out to be, um, uh, oh my God. Uh, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. It was third overall. You did mention him just now. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Him. And, and I just remember just like the positivity surrounding our, 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 the organization then it was a new management. It was a new pick. It was, you know, a new era. And then towards the end, it seemed very secretive and combative. Like he was very, very difficult with the media. He wasn't, you know, it, it just, even even the, the VP of communications was not well liked by the media, it turned out later. You know, like they just seemed to be like this cabal more than anything else. And, the, you know, the way that they carry themselves now is just so different and so transparent. They're moving into a new era. Like they used to be really conservative type of organization where even their social media was boring and now you know you see the gm hop on twitch like it's a lot of it's a lot of transparency that they're doing it's a lot of appealing to fans that they're doing but they're also not it's it's not just for the sake of marketing and pleasing people right like they have a strategy they have a plan they have ideas so everything that we're getting at this point like I truly can't say a negative thing. And that's why, you know, we're going to go back to our the beginning of, of our conversation where we talked about whether or not they pick Shane Wright. They can't afford to tank this pick. They really can't. Like, all of no, this goodwill will get, you know, if, if whoever they pick turns out to not turn out to be, like, a, a core piece that they can build a contender around, they yeah, might not have it, to be a superstar. If it's a Louis LeBlanc pick, they're in trouble. Exactly. Well, so, and and that's know, exactly what happened to the Flyers with Nolan Patrick, right? Right. <laughs> Although I would say it was because of hard times for Patrick, not because he couldn't play, right? But it still happened. Right, but it still happened. And there's a lot of 2020 hindsight that goes on with draft picks. Oh, yeah. Exactly. But, uh, you know, at this point, maybe we have this conversation a year from now and we're we're singing a different tune. I don't know. but (laughs) Well, a year from now, at least the Flyers will have a coach, presumably. (laughs) Hopefully. Hopefully by the time... That we are that that the listeners get to listen to this episode, you will have a, a new coach and it's Barry Trotz. That would certainly be a thing. <laughs> who who would you who would you prefer out of all the coaching candidates? I mean, I think I have two minds on this issue because I am very much in favor of thinking outside the box and getting creative and interviewing non-traditional candidates. And the Flyers are not that team. They just aren't. And so, like, trying to be in the head of what is realistic within the lane of who the Flyers are, I want Barry Trotz. And I I think that he has the kind of of discipline and and system that could turn the, the Flyers around because I think structure is something that the Flyers just desperately lacked for the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean... You know, I like Montgomery. I think Torts would be good for them. And I felt like it's Torts all along. I felt like Trotz is just sort of building up his price and just keeping in touch with the Flyers because he knows they'll pay, but doesn't sure. really, that isn't really going to come. And then, uh, like someone like Cassidy, I thought it was interesting how all of a sudden he's like off the list after they spoke to him. And that's probably because. A, he's not 100% sure about what he wants to do, but also B, he probably looked over the lineup and said, yeah, this isn't my kind of team to coach. I think Cassidy's a pretty honest guy, and I think that's why. So, you know, now Peter DeBoer apparently is in the final list, 
Uh, is that because Dallas really wants him? I mean, the Flyers do tend to be reactionary, so it could be because maybe they want to see if they're overlooking something, and I think DeBoer is good. In the end, I still think it's Tortorella. I think after all of this, it doesn't matter, and it's Tortorella. That the, what matters is they have to announce it soon, or I don't think you're allowed to announce it when the cup starts. So I think they have until then, and if not, maybe you could do it on a cup off day, but otherwise the league really frowns on you know signing, having a big announcement during the Stanley Cup. And so it's entirely possible that Barry Trotz waits until after the cup final is over and, and doesn't make his decision. And then everybody else is just waiting, hanging in the balance. Yep. And Could he doesn't be. care. And why should he? Honestly. Yeah. yeah. Live your best life, Barry Trotz. <laughs> <laughs> if I were Barry Trotz, I'd do that. Imagine getting fired for being a good coach. <laughs> yeah. And he's holding up a whole sport now. And all these other coaches. It's amazing. That should be, that must be the life. Um, and so I want to thank you guys for your time. I know Russ, we pick your Same. brain a lot on this show. No, we, we really thank you. It. Same. Yeah, it was um, fun. This was fun, and I hope our listeners get a few fun segments out of these episodes. I, I think we've got enough now for like two to three episodes. So I'm very very excited for our listeners to hear this. Same. So once again, we want to thank Russ and Rachel for hanging out with us. And I hope uh, you all enjoyed that conversation about the rebuild like we did. Uh, things things are looking up in Montreal and we're going to continue to cover all of that. Don't forget, as we said, we've got a couple of episodes on Caden Gooley coming up. We still haven't talked to an OHL scout about all these other prospects in the OHL. We've got so much content coming up leading up to the draft and even beyond that. So don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can find us on YouTube as well. You'll find us on Twitter at LO underscore Canadians. You'll find me on Twitter at The Active Stick. You'll find Scott at Scott Matlock. Our friends can be found at Locked on Flyers. Russ is at Sportsology. Rachel's at R. Miriam. And once you're done listening to this, check out Locked on NHL, where they're covering the Stanley Cup final, and they've got all aspects of it. Make them your second listen of the day. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.